0: Now, if you'll find your place in Hebrews chapter 4, some of you have already found it. Let's stand together. Uh, I want you to hold a finger in Hebrews chapter 4, and while you're there, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Actually, hold your finger in Hebrews 10 until we get there. We'll start with Hebrews chapter 4, and then turn to Hebrews chapter 10, which, incidentally, it was just the work of the Holy Spirit. God had planned for us to look at that in our life group time this morning as well. It says, Therefore, since a promise... Remains of entering his rest. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place. Of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. The author of Hebrews is trying to put these two concepts together here. What is the Sabbath and what is this time of rest? In verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today after such a long time as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. This is something that's to come. It's what the author is saying. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, chapter 10 of Hebrews, beginning with verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Father, we do thank you that there is a time for rest. There is a time for worship. There is a time to still our souls and quiet our spirits before you and acknowledge your greatness in creation and your work in this world, and your work of redemption in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified this day, and that your spirit would be our teacher and our God, not only in hearing, but in applying and doing the word that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As we continue our look at the hot potatoes, subjects that a lot of preachers like to shy away from, I want to Uh, seek to, in in the grace that God will give me, touch on the subject, is Sunday still sacred? We could have phrased it a lot of other ways. Was Sunday ever sacred? That's a question that a lot of people are asking today, and a lot of people are trying to tackle this. Was Sunday ever even a sacred day to begin with? And if you grew up in the South, probably grew up in, uh, at least I did, in a time period and in a region where Sunday was sacred. I remember hearing the story about the boy who wanted to go fishing, and he showed up in church instead, and he told his Sunday school teacher, he said, I wanted to go fishing today, and I don't want to be here. And the teacher said, well, why are you here? And he said, well, my dad made me come to church. She said, well, did your dad explain to you why it's important to be in church? He said, yeah, he sure did. He explained that he only had enough bait for one person this morning, so I couldn't go with him. Well, we know that a lot of people come up with a lot of excuses for missing church. Um, and, And as a matter of fact, I saw where someone had done something that I thought was interesting I wanted to share with you, but they said, what if we use the excuses that people have for not going to church, what if we applied that to other things? For instance, what if we take those excuses that people use for not being part of a church, and applied that to eating. Now think about that. A lot of us would probably lose a few pounds, but here's what some of the excuses would sound like. Well, my parents forced me to eat as a child, and now that I'm old enough to make my own decisions, I'm not going to eat anymore. What about this one? Eaters are just hypocrites. As a matter of fact, some only eat for show. Well, meals are just too boring. I can't sit through another one. Here's one. Here's a good one for Baptists. We were so tired, we decided not to eat this week. <laughs> Nobody's heard that one before, right? How about this? Um, I eat every Christmas and Easter, and that's enough for me. Well, some of us do eat enough on Christmas and Easter to last throughout the year. Who has time to eat? There's too much work to be done. Eating is only a crutch for those who are weak. Well, you know what, Pastor? Someone hurt my feelings down at that restaurant, and I've decided I'm not going to go back and eat anymore. Is that an amen or no oh me? Well, you know the cooks, the cooks are really only after your money anyway. <laughs> what if we use those excuses? See, they don't work anywhere else, but we try to use them when it comes to the things of God. Well, how does the New Testament deal with the concepts of Sabbath and Lord's Day worship, gathering on Sunday? Are we gathering on the wrong day? Like most subjects, what I want to strive to do this morning, avoid legalistic manipulation, but at the same time, avoid that other extreme of liberal neglect. Almost every subject in the Bible, you can do that. You can use it legalistically to manipulate people to do things. And there are pastors who would tend to use the Scriptures that way, to to browbeat people into doing what they would have them do. But the other extreme is what I would call liberal neglect. They want to address the subject and ask, what does the Bible really say about this subject matter? And so we're going to strive to find that biblical balance this morning. While being careful of extremes, we need to take time as a church to see the significance of the the subject of uh, Sunday worship and Sabbath rest. So I I want to give you two points this morning, two considerations, if you will. and, And I want to do what I believe the New Testament does and look individually at the concept of Sabbath rest as well as Sunday worship. So the first consideration this morning is this. I want us to consider the importance of Sabbath rest from constant work. The importance of Sabbath rest from constant work. This will tell us and show us that we need to be on guard against workaholism. Any workaholics here? Anybody live with a workaholic? You don't have to tell them today. But uh, usually you know who we're talking about. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not destroy the law. So if he came to fulfill the law, not destroy the law, he came to fulfill Sabbath because that's part of the law. It's the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. He came to fulfill the concept of Sabbath, but not destroy the concept of Sabbath. So we must avoid legalism by seeing how Christ interpreted. You realize this Jesus broke all the Pharisaical rules when he actually performed seven miracles on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. We would call it Saturday today. Jesus performed seven miracles on the Sabbath. And so he broke all of the, the Pharisaical legalism that would say, Now, on the Sabbath, you need to be sure that you act and perform just. A certain way the Sabbath concept though existed before the law was given long before Moses gave us the law we read all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 that God on the seventh day rested now let me ask you a question did God rest because God needed rest did God say after six days of creation man, I am wiped out. And I'll tell you what, if I don't get my rest, I'm going to be a worthless God. Well, of course not. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow weary or tired. God's not tired. God doesn't need a nap. We need a nap, but God doesn't need a nap. God established a principle. You know what God did on day seven? God enjoyed his creation. He just simply enjoyed it. There's something to be said about enjoying creation, a certain concept of the Sabbath about us being able to enjoy God and all that he is and all that he's created for us and blessed us with. So if you're so uptight when it comes to the concept of Sabbath rest, if you're so uptight that you're not enjoying yourself, if you're not having a good time, and if you're not willing to help someone out in the midst of it, then is, is it really rest? Jesus would tell the Pharisees when they were complaining about him healing on the Sabbath and asking the man to carry the mat on the Sabbath, he would explain to them, listen, my father is always at work. God's always up to something. But he's enjoying his creation. Even in the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, the focus seems to be on this concept of rest. And the seventh day, what we call Saturday today, brought certain intentionality to say, hey, listen, we're going to put a day on the calendar to say, you need to stop and take a break. You need to rest. You need to enjoy God's creation and all that he intended it to be. Now, we'll come back to the concept of worship in the second point, but keep in mind that that seventh day was called holy. Holy. And worship became a part of it. And even worship, by the way, worship should be a time of joy. Sometimes when it comes to worship and it comes to uh, being at church, when it comes to preaching and teaching the Word of God, it does involve work, it, it involves sacrifice, it involves passion, it involves giving of yourself. But if you're not enjoying it, you're missing the point. In the midst of it, we're to, as the Westminster Confession says, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God wants us to enjoy him. So it's not a time, even in our worship gatherings, it's not a time to be uptight and critical and trying to rob somebody of their joy, but help them experience God's best instead. But let's see how the New Testament fulfills this concept of Sabbath rest. Going back to Hebrews chapter 4, we looked at just a moment ago, and I want to go back to verse 3, and I want us to see the warning that he had therefore the Israelites, because there's a spiritual concept of Sabbath that the author of Hebrews is dealing with here. For we who have believed do not enter the rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. As God warned Israel through the prophets, listen, if you miss out on that relationship with me, all of your legalistic following of the Sabbath is is, going to miss the point. It's all about enjoying me and being in a right relationship with me. Verse 4, he has spoken in another place, God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, and again, they shall not enter my rest. He's drawing a contrast in verse 4 and verse 5, saying basically this, they might have had the legalistic Sabbath in place, but they were missing out on what it meant to be in such a right relationship with God that their spirit and their soul was at rest. They were living in spiritual adultery. Let me ask you that this morning. You may ask have come to a place in your life where you find the rest that you need physically, but is your spirit and your soul in that place of Sabbath rest through what Christ accomplished on the cross through his blood, his death, his resurrection? Are you at a place where you're at peace, you're at rest, you're experiencing the spiritual Sabbath in Christ that you can say, man, now I can enjoy life. I can work, I can work passionately, I can serve him, but I am at a place of rest I can lay my pillow, uh, my head on my pillow at night, and have peace. And so he warns them in verse seven. He shows the warning that God gave Israel today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. It was explained that everything that Moses and as Moses passed the torch to Joshua, as they ushered in, as they came into, Joshua led them into the promised land, the land of rest. If they had experienced everything spiritually that they were experiencing physically, then there wouldn't be this better day that's coming. But there is a better day that's coming. By the way, there's a better promised land. And so he says there in verse 9, Remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Verse 9 is not a passage. It's, It's been pulled from its context from time to time. It's not a passage that's enforcing the fact that on Saturday, on the Sabbath, that we're supposed to pull aside and have that legalistic Sabbath. It is saying that there is still something for the church to look forward to. There is a better retirement than what you're going to have in this life. There is a time of Sabbath rest, a spiritual rest, a rest in the soul like we could never imagine or dream of, and that's when we get to heaven. But it's not because we're going to be sitting around uh, on recliners, on clouds in heaven floating around. God's going to have stuff to do, but we're going to be spiritually at the uh, place where we have arrived at a most perfect rest in Christ than one could ever imagine. And so it's rest from the focus on the law. Rest because we're trusting in his grace for salvation and rest in eternity. But also there's a, that final glorious rest where we're going to enjoy God in all of his splendor just as God enjoyed his creation on the seventh day the word seven the number seven in scripture is is that picture of completion and perfection and it's where we come to a place in life where we are fully satisfied with all that god is we experience that positionally in christ when we're saved our souls find a spiritual sabbath in christ and we look forward to that in eternity so you need a day of rest a physical day of rest to be a picture of what is happening spiritually and even to enhance your spiritual walk with God you need a day of rest to enjoy God to enjoy his creation to enjoy your family to enjoy the things that you've worked hard for along the way there's nothing wrong with that i believe scripture endorses that i believe the focus when we focus on this principle then we need to see that it was important that one seventh be given to sabbath rest seven again pictures that which is eternal but tells us in this life that God has established a principle for us to take a sabbath a seventh rest now you may be able many of you may be able to take a sunday the first day of the week the lord's day and that is your best day of rest there might even be two or three of you say pastor i get a good nap every time i come to church <laughs> But but that may be your day of rest. For most pastors, Sunday is not their best day of rest. It's a day that they have to be spiritually prepared and focused on worship and the Word of God, and there is work involved in that. So for some, Sunday is a good Sabbath. It is a good rest from your labor. You might get Saturday off, the literal Seventh day, the Sabbath, that might be what works for you, but regardless, you need that day of rest. Some of you are like me and you kind of break it up a little bit. I know that on Saturday, especially come Saturday evening, my mind and my heart and my spirit are going to shift back to the things at the church, and I might spend three, four, five hours just making sure everything is prepared for Sunday. And so I try to knock off a little early on Friday so that, and, and it's not a legalistic Sabbath, but a lot of times Friday from six. Till Saturday at 6, it's going to be a Sabbath rest for me. But I'll tell you what, if, uh, if I've been somewhere, and I don't do this as much as Pastor Ben, but, but if I've been somewhere with a bunch of teenagers over the weekend doing ministry, then I better find a Sabbath rest. And I'll tell Pastor Ben, well, you better find some time. Make it up with your family. Get caught up because your body needs to rest from all of that work. I realize a lot of people think that, hey, we work two days a week and play golf the rest of the time, but... Uh, we need that Sabbath rest. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, tells us don't be legalistic with the, what day that that is on. Listen to these words from Colossians 2. It's, it's verse 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. See, the Judaizers... And and Paul was writing to the church at Colossae to confront the Judaizers Judaizers who were saying, you need to put into place all of the laws, all the the principles of the, the old covenant in order to truly be saved. And he was saying, don't be legalistic about Sabbaths, what day that falls on. He goes on to say in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. The Sabbath was a picture of that ultimate eternal rest that is fulfilled in Christ spiritually and one day very physically and literally when we receive a glorified body and spend forever in heaven with him. So he says, don't let anybody judge you in that. There is a principle, by the way, of Sabbath rest we need to apply, but let's not be legalistic about the activities that are performed on the Sabbath. Some of you can rest from your work by working in the yard. If you've been working behind a desk all week long, and you have one day where you can do some yard work, for some of you, that's a Sabbath rest. That's a break. No, not for me. I don't think it's fun. But for some of you, that is a Sabbath rest. And I'm not going to be legalistic because somebody spent that time working in the yard. But if you were doing yard work all, day, all week long, you probably need a break from it. I try, like I said, to take uh, some time off, do things with my family. It may involve some fun things. It may involve a trip. It may involve doing some things around the house. But it's a break from the work that God has called me to. There are businesses like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby that get the importance of the business, having a Sabbath rest. And I promise you, you'll notice this when you go to shop, or you go out to eat, those places that close for a 24-hour period will give you better service than the places that do not. It's because they've had a Sabbath rest. It's also because they're able to hire the cream of the crop when it comes to Christians. That's what Truett Cathy said. He said, by being closed on Sunday, we get to hire the best of the best from all the churches because they want to work somewhere that's closed on Sunday. Again, not legalistic about the day, but they take a Sunday. They take a 24-hour rest but what about hospitals last week we had lots of uh, first responders here what about folks that have to do a a work because somebody is in need then they may have to find another day to have their sabbath rest because i'll tell you what if i um, if i'm in a car accident after church today i want to know that somebody's going to come help me out so there are certain that's why we can't be legalistic. Jesus said we're going to do good things and Jesus did seven miracles. He said we're going to do good things even on the Sabbath. So Sabbath rest in the New Testament is not legalistically mandated on a certain day. But instead, it is a picture of creation. Just to summarize, it's a picture of creation, God's rest and enjoying creation. We need to take time to do that. It's a principle of rest. Our bodies need to recover, and we need to come to a place of spiritual rest in our spirit and in our soul. And it's a prophecy of the fact that heaven is going to be a great eternal rest, that everything is going to be A-OK, and we're going to be able to enjoy God in all of his fullness. That's the Sabbath as it's fulfilled in the New Testament. But there was another aspect of Old Testament Sabbath that is fulfilled a little bit differently than the concept of Sabbath rest in the new. And and that's my second point this morning. I want you to consider the impact of Sunday resurrection, the impact of a Sunday resurrection on Christian worship. Now, if Sabbath rest and guarding that principle will help guard us against being a workaholic then the principle of Lord's Day worship, a Sunday resurrection on the, uh, and the impact of that on Christian worship, will guard us against worldliness. And so that's where we turn back to Hebrews 10 again, and we see that he says three times, let us draw near. Let us draw near, speaking to the presence of God in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast our confession. We had a wonderful life group message on this brother gerald brought this morning verse 24 he says let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and the verse i want us to focus on he says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching so he says get your heart right with god We need to come together, get our hearts right with God, get into his presence, encourage one another, serve one another, and lift up the body of Christ. That coming together, that gathering, that corporate worship gathering of the body of Christ is vital for the life of the church and every individual believer. Now, how do we know this is taking place on Sunday? Well, by Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we see that it had become the pattern of the New Testament church to gather together together, On the first day of the week. You know the story there at the beginning of Acts chapter 20. Paul is in Troas. And he's preaching on a Sunday evening. Now I know that some would argue that that means you should have Sunday evening services. But think about this. The influence of Catholicism on Lord's Day worship as well as the Roman Empire on Lord's Day worship. A lot of people say, well listen, I've heard this as part of the Hebrew Roots Movement that, that Catholicism and perhaps the uh, Roman Empire are the only reasons people worship on Sunday. God intended it to be Saturday from the beginning, but this principle of Lord's Day worship was in place two or three centuries before any of that had happened concerning the worship of the Roman sun god as well as uh, the, the embrace of that with, the, with Catholicism and, and Sunday worship. So... You say, what does all that mean? It means that Sunday was probably in the Roman Empire, just another work day. So they went to work in the morning, but what did they do in the evening? You see, we read that passage in Acts 20, and we give Eutychus a hard time, don't we? Because what did Eutychus do? He fell asleep in the midst of the worship service. And he fell out of the window and died, and Paul had to raise him back to life. And so we give Eutychus a hard time, but listen... Go back and read that within the context. It was midnight. And if we gathered this evening at 7 o'clock and I began preaching and I preached till midnight, some of you are going to be falling out. And I don't mean in the spirit. Listen, listen I give you give it's a hard time. They, they were having evening worship services because by the time everybody could get off work, every time the you know, agrarian society, they finished their work, they finished their labor, they could come together in the evening, and this had become the pattern of the church today worship the first day of the week so we can argue over how many services you're supposed to have on sunday we have a a commitment here to protect lord's day worship we believe that to accomplish our mission and in our purposes as a church that it works for us to have a very vital mid Wednesday night this place especially once the school year starts we get the Iwana program and all I love our Wednesday night services nothing legalistic about that it's just practical it works for us on Sunday mornings, though, we say that is sacred and we're protecting that. Uh, we have the, the time and the word in our life groups, time and the word again in worship. And I've heard others challenge me and say, well, pastor, if you don't have a Sunday night service, you're not getting enough of this word in them. Well, ultimately, my job is to equip the home, to equip the church, so that when you're at home Monday through Saturday, you're getting more and more of the word of God in you. And we could have three or four or five or six services On Sunday, and we wouldn't get enough of the Word of God to sustain us. We need to stay in the Word all week long. But to do that corporately, we really want to protect Sunday mornings and keep that time sacred. There's a reason behind all of that. I watched the end of the movie, Chariots of Fire, this past week and and saw that imagery of uh, Eric Little. Some of you know the story, the great British hurdler. And it just so happened in the 1924 Olympics that hurdles were to be run on a Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, instead of running hurdles, Eric Little was preaching in a church there in Paris, France. And somebody on his team had to take his place in the hurdles. What was very interesting about that, though, is on Monday, the one who had taken his place stepped out of the 400-meter race and said, Eric, I'm going to let you run the 400 meter. The Americans were already heavily favored to finish one and two in the 400 meters anyway, but he says, I'm going to let you run in my place to say you ran in the Olympics. And those of you who have seen the movie or read the story, you know Eric Little's story. He got out there, and uh, he ran the 400 meter race and got the gold medal. What I didn't realize until I went back and watched this again, and I had to check it out. Everything's true on the internet, so I looked it up on the internet and, uh, and found out that, that one of the uh, American runners had handed him a little note before he ran that just said, I will honor those who honor me. And said, God bless. And so Eric Little honored the Lord and was in a place of worship and then he ran for gold and won it in a race that was not even his to run from the beginning. So, How did Sunday then become the day of worship? How did it become sacred to begin with? Centuries before, the Roman world called for some kind of homage to Sunday or the first day of the week, even for pagan purposes. And we have to follow a pattern in the New Testament to see this. Um, Acts sometimes is descriptive. Sometimes it's prescriptive. And we have to use principles of interpretation to say, well, is this... Descriptive, is it just what they did in that day? Or is it prescriptive? Was there a pattern? So we have to look at the rest of Scripture. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on John, points out that the Lord's Day has no intrinsic relationship to the Jewish Sabbath. Well, Why is that important? Because somebody's going to come to you, or somebody's going to come to me, and they're going to say, you guys are worshiping on Sunday when the Sabbath is really Saturday. And you know what I usually say to them? I say, you're right. We worship on Sunday when the Sabbath is on Sunday. I do not try to call Sunday the Sabbath. Because nowhere in the New Testament does it say the Sabbath is now on Sunday. What we do see happen in the New Testament is corporate worship among the body of believers. Even though it may have been on Sunday nights to begin with, corporate worship is moved from Saturday to Sunday. The principle of Sabbath rest still exists. And we can't be legalistic according to Paul's letter to the Colossians about whether you find that Sabbath rest on Saturday or another day of the week. The principle of Sabbath rest still exists. Lord's Day worship became the norm on Sunday. It's where we get aside with the body of Christ. The New Testament history, and this is what Hughes goes on to say, New Testament history and the development reveals that the Holy Spirit set apart a special day, the first day of the week. For God's church how let me just give you in case someone ever comes to you and says well Sabbath is on Saturday how why is it the church is gathering on Sunday you're violating scripture Let let me give you some principles from scripture of how this was established and you'll you'll pick up on this as we follow through first one Jesus rose from the dead when Sunday the first day of the week Jesus rose from the grave that got it all started by the way every Sunday every time we gather it's Easter right Easter, you know, for those who say, well, I go to church on Easter, and that's enough, we'll say, good, every Sunday's Easter at Trinity. Jesus first appeared to his disciples and broke bread with them, significant worship and fellowship there, on the first day of the week. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus expounded the Scriptures to his disciples. By the way, when Jesus was gathered with his disciples to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee before he ascended, it was the first day of the week. It was on a Sunday. Jesus gathered his disciples to give the Great Commission on a Sunday, the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit descended on the church on Pentecost, which that year fell on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. Believers in Acts continued to gather for worship on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, told New Testament believers told the New Testament church at Corinth to receive an offering when they gather together, when? On the first day of the week, on Sunday. And finally, when Christ appeared to John on the island of Patmos to give him the revelation, it was on the Sunday, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, God appeared in a wonderful way. James Boyce, a Bible scholar, theologian says, This Everything we do in church on this day is based on these great events. Gathering together, the reading and the interpretation of Scripture, the preaching of the Word of God, the collection of offerings, the breaking of bread, whether fellowship or in the Lord's Supper, the worship of the crucified and risen Lord, all of these things were taking place by the time the New Testament church is established in its practices on the first day of the week On Sunday, so it doesn't bother me if you want to fish or hunt or play ball or get your ox out of the ditch on a Sunday. I might throw the ball this afternoon or play some tennis this evening, or I might not. But we need to strive, in addition to that, to find some time of corporate worship. And if it works out for you for Sunday to be your Sabbath as well, for you to find rest, then great. But if that's another day of the week for you, fantastic. I'm all for the two-day weekend myself. But find time for corporate worship. Hebrews ten don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Fight to protect the sacredness of Sunday for your family, for your church, for yourself. And when you have to be away, be missional. A couple of Sundays ago, I was on vacation. Last summer, I wrote a blog about this, and I strive not to be hypocritical (laughs) in my practice from my preaching and my writing, but I was on vacation. And one of the most enjoyable times on vacation was when we went to a local church. I remember... Back when I was a youth pastor in Leland, North Carolina, we were hosting in Brunswick County the Dixie Youth All-Stars. And we had, over the weekend, baseball players coming from all over the state of North Carolina. It was really cool because the host team got to enter a team into the state, All-Stars, whether they had made it or not. All of these folks that were coming in, so we held in the community center a chapel service for all of those baseball players coming in. Were they going to start that baseball tournament on a Sunday? Yes. Did I like that? No. But how did we handle that? We said, you know what? Let's not be legalistic about what they do on Sunday, but let's provide an opportunity for them to come and worship. And here's the cool thing about it. I had 13 11- and 12-year-old boys pray to receive Christ because we offered an early morning chapel service. So maybe your work, maybe even your recreation, maybe your vacation calls for you to be away from your family, the local church that you're a part of. But find a place to do worship. Offer a chapel for those who are involved in what you're involved with. There were Sundays Back when I first became pastor here that I thought, man, in the fall, I remember telling David Bailey this. In the fall, one of us is going to have to go do worship in the mountains and one of us at Trinity because half our crowd, they go to the mountains every weekend during the fall. And that was just kind of a, a period that we seem to go, have gone through as a church. But I said, man, we need to, and now I found out that there is a chapel and that many go to the chapel that's in the mountains, and that's great. Find a place of worship. You say, well, pastor, if I go on vacation or I go to this town or that town, I might go into church and, and and it might be so dead and so dry. Well, good, it'll make you appreciate your church even more. It might be alive, it might inspire you, and you might come back with something that you're going to invest in this church that you learned from that church. My desire is, your pastor, I want God's best for you. And I don't want you to get so caught up in Worldly success that you think, when it comes to the church, I can take it or leave it. It's God's plan. It's God's body. It's God's bride. And we're called to be a part of it. And we're called as a church to come together for corporate worship. We're also called to find our place of rest spiritually and physically. I believe at Trinity we need to make it clear. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. There's a reason to be a part of it, and you don't want to miss it. And if you have to miss it, you find something else corporately to get brothers and sisters together. You go to another church, you offer a chapel, whatever it may be, and you get in on the Word of God and fellowship with believers and worship with the body of Christ. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Would you bow your heads with me?